We're talking about the big story of the Bible for the last several weeks. The big story of the Bible. The Bible's got lots of little stories. And they all fit together into this grand narrative of which Jesus Christ is the turning point, the great climax. And we've looked at the story of the Old Testament through the lens of this big story of Jesus Christ. And at this phase, we are ready, last uh, time that we talked about this, we, we talked about losing the kingdom of God, losing Jerusalem, losing the temple, the exile into Babylon. And so today I want to talk about the return from exile. It's actually a huge theme really can't fit it all in one sermon, but it's, it's in that dark time of the exile and the return from exile that a lot of the grandest ideas that play into our New Testament faith begin to take shape in the minds of God's people. God, I think, even uses these dark times in order to make crystal clear some of the revelation that He wants to get across to His people. And so, there are so many passages we could choose from, but for today I want us to just go to Isaiah chapter 40 and camp there for the morning. And just look at what Isaiah the prophet says to the people that he is sent to. We'll skip down from the beginning of that chapter, down to verse 9 first, and read verses 9 through 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers His lambs in His arms and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those who have young. First theme that begins to be clear in the exile is the theme, in the return from exile, is the theme of gospel. Good news. Our whole concept, New Testament, of good news, the proclaimers of good news, bringing good news, preaching the gospel, starts here with the proclamation of the good news that God is planning to bring home the exiles, and restore Jerusalem. In the middle of the worst darkness, God is the God of good news. Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt powerless? Have you ever felt like the forces that are arranged against you, they could be human forces, they could be the forces of disease, they could be the economy, they could be all kinds of things. Have you ever felt just powerless 
to make things better. Well, that frequently happens in human life, that we run out of gas as human beings. We run out of power as human beings. And it looks as if we don't have a way to make our situation better. That was a thousand times, a hundred thousand times true for the exiles who were living in Babylon and scattered because of the destruction of Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem. They had lost everything. Their nation had been humiliated repeatedly and finally just destroyed. Their capital had been assaulted three times by the Babylonians and at last every stone torn down from the walls. The temple itself Raised to the ground. The priests were slaughtered. The kings had his eyes put out after his own bloodline was killed in front of him. It was an absolute national catastrophe. Hauled away to live in a land where I don't even know the language. To live among people who boast over my defeat, who don't even know the name of my God and don't care and believe that their gods and goddesses are the ones who are mighty and are the ones who have given them this victory. And I feel absolutely powerless. I feel absolutely helpless. I cannot make a difference. And in the middle of that darkness... God sends a messenger to say good news, gospel. At some point in your life, if you're here today, and you're a baptized believer, at some point in your life, some message, it may have been someone speaking, it may have been reading, it may have just been in some still quiet moment of reflection on things you'd heard and read. But at some point in your life, the good news of Jesus Christ finally dawned on your heart. The reason why you're a Christian, the reason why you believe, is because God sent good news to you. Sin is powerful. The fallen state of the world is dark. Anybody, any preacher who makes light of how bad the world is, is telling you lies. This is a bad world. It is a fallen world. Sin is tricky and multi-layered and really good at tripping you up. But there is good news. God has found a way to save. That's what starts back here in Isaiah and the other prophets of the return from exile. Isaiah is amazing because he he comes in the middle of the darkest darkness and says, tell people some good 
news. He starts this chapter, chapter 40, like this. Look down and uh, look up in verse 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Comfort, comfort my people. That's the way Isaiah begins this chapter. It's a major break if you've been reading Isaiah up through chapter 39. All of a sudden, just the tone changes. It's been dark, it's been dreary, there's been predictions of destruction, and, and that destruction that Isaiah predicted came true with a vengeance. And now all of a sudden Isaiah says, but there will be a better time. Comfort, comfort, my people. Amen. Embedded in these first five verses, though, you notice something interesting. Why had all this happened to Israel? Why had Jerusalem fallen? Why had the temple been destroyed? Why had the people been dragged away from their homes, from their lands, from their farms, from their houses, and taken to a foreign land where they didn't know the language, they didn't know the culture, they didn't understand what was happening? Why had all that happened? Embedded in verses 1 through 5, we read this. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received double for all her sins at the Lord's hands. Why had all that happened to Jerusalem? Because of Jerusalem's sins. Have you ever felt powerless? Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt that the forces arrayed against you are so strong you have no ability to make things better? And on top of that, the gloomy thought that it's your fault that things are this way. Because that's the situation that Isaiah is preaching into. You look at your life and it's a mess. And part of the reason it's a mess is because of addiction that you have allowed to grow in your life. Now it's got hold of you, but you welcomed it and you let it happen. You look at your life and it's messed up, but part of the reason it's messed up is because of what you did to your marriage, what you did to your children, what you did to your sex life, or what you did in business. Things are dark, 
And that is compounded by the fact that you're aware of your own guilt. There's hopelessness. And then there is hopelessness that feels deserved. Maybe the worst kind of hopelessness of all. And I have good news for you today. (laughs) Even in that kind of darkness, you can't stop God. Because what Isaiah begins to reveal to us becomes a major piece of the theology of the New Testament. A major piece of the rest of the Old Testament and a major piece of the theology of the New Testament. And it's this... God finds a way to be faithful to His promises even when His people are not. The things you've done to betray God are horrible. The things you've done to mess your life up truly are just as bad as you think they are in your most depressed moments. They really are. And God still won't stop coming after you. You want to talk about amazing grace. You can hardly do better than starting right here in Isaiah chapter 40. Because the Israelites who were honest with themselves realized, yes, our situation is hopeless and we are powerless to do anything about it, and we brought it on ourselves. And every one of us knows The same thing is true about us spiritually. Our situation, sin, starts out sort of offering us what seem like free choices, but eventually it gets its hooks into us. Every one of us ends up being a sin addict of one kind or another. If sin has its way, it starts small, but when it's full grown, it kills us. It rots us from the inside. It grows until nothing's left but sin if it has its way. And even when we've done all of that, God won't stop coming for us. He keeps looking for ways to fulfill the promises in our lives, our unworthy lives, our our lives that that constantly fail Him, He keeps trying to succeed with us. It is one of the fundamental strengths of the faith you have inherited, the faith that you have believed, that whatever you have done, if you will turn back to God, He has already turned to you. God wants you, wants you, wants you to be with Him. More than you want it, He wants it. He is right now, even if right now you are in your heart rebelling against what you're hearing. Nevertheless, He is working in a thousand ways in your life to turn your heart back to Him. He wants you to be soft 
He wants you to turn. He wants you to yield. That is the good news of the God that is revealed to us in this dark time of exile and return from exile. Isaiah begins to lay out, starting here in chapter 40, I mean, Isaiah, the whole book is, is phenomenal, uh, probably the jewel of the prophets, but, but here in chapter 40, he begins to lay out such a strong set of, of pictures of what God is like and really theological propositions in the form of those pictures. Look down in verse 15 if you're following in your scriptures or there on the study sheet. He says, Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. That's an amazing piece of prophetic vision right there. Take all the nations of the world, all around the globe, take all the palaces and all the gold and all the treasure and all the armies and all the spears and all the swords and all the princes and all the generals. It's like a drop in the bucket compared to the tiniest hint of the power of Almighty God. That is a change in perspective that Isaiah is trying to help you and I achieve. He's trying to help the exiles achieve that. And he's trying to help you and I see the world that way as well. And it's another one of those themes that then blossoms fully in the New Testament. Leaders and nations only seem all-powerful. The true power is God. Leaders and nations only seem all-powerful. The true power is God. You realize what an important thing that was for the exiles to hear. Before the return was accomplished... It looked as if nations and leaders of nations were all-powerful. Jerusalem had been sacked. It had been burned to the ground. The temple was destroyed. Every bit of portable treasure had been ripped off the walls, ripped from the floor, carted away to be melted down and repurposed to serve Marduk or Sin or some other god of the Babylonians. It looked as if the military power and the political power of Babylon was the only power that mattered. And Isaiah speaks forth. One person with a voice says, Not true. That's a lie. It's been a lie. It will be a lie. The true power is God. If you don't have Isaiah laying that foundation, 
You don't have Peter and the other apostles saying, you decide to the Sanhedrin whether it's right to follow God or men. But as for us, we cannot help but preach what we have seen and heard. Preach the Gospel. And you don't have Isaiah explaining that politics may seem like it has the power, but God is the real power. Then you can't have Paul standing up in front of whatever king or governor that you want to put him in front of, and instead of even trying to defend himself, just beginning to preach the gospel to them. If you don't have Isaiah explaining to us, this is where this begins, to help us understand the balance of power in the universe. If you don't have Isaiah explaining to us, then you don't have the Christians again and again and again going up against the power of the state that says we forbid you to believe in Jesus Christ. We forbid you to gather together in His name. We forbid you to take the supper of the Lord. We forbid you to baptize. We forbid you to read your text. We forbid, we forbid, we forbid. And the Christians express their freedom even at the cost of their lives. Leaders and countries and armies and police and violence only seems to be all-powerful in our world. The true power is God. Let me tell you, folks, we need Isaiah's reminder today just as much as those exiles needed it all those years ago. Because as much as we like to believe we're rational about this and and no one would just come out and say, I think might makes right, every one of us kind of has a part of our brain that sort of thinks, yeah, Might does make right. If somebody's strong enough, they start looking right, too. If somebody has enough power, no matter how dumb they are, they start kind of looking smart to us. It's kind of built into the human psyche a little bit. I've noticed over and over again, a movie will come out that the critics just point out all the flaws. It's so stupid. It's so bad. It's so badly shot. It's, the script has holes in it. It's lousy. The critics will just rip it to shreds. The public will go to it. It'll make a billion dollars. And suddenly the critics say, well, you know, there's a lot to recommend about this movie. You have a politician. Everybody hates him. Everybody thinks he's kind of uh, worthless. He gets power and suddenly people say, you know, he's got some good ideas. There's a part of our brain that kind of thinks might makes right. Might does not make right. Right makes right. God makes right. And again and again and again, you and I, 
if we live for God, if we're called according to God's purposes, we may find ourselves having to go up against might with very little might of our own. Having to go up against political power or social power. Having to go up against financial power. Going up against the power of ridicule and the power of mockery and the power of outright legislation. That may happen to us again and again and again, brothers and sisters. Might does not make right. Follow the Lord your God no matter what the world does to you. Because the true power is God Almighty. It was a message that was needed then. It's a message that we need now. Many, many people have loved and found comfort in the way that Isaiah chapter 40 ends. And I want to go there as well here at the conclusion. Look down in verse 28 if you're following along in your text. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths go grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is good stuff. That's one of those passages that part of it my mom... She took a piece of cardboard, actually, and and wrote that out in marker and hung it on the wall of our kitchen, which is where we had breakfast and most of our meals. God gives courage to the discouraged and strength to those who think they are finished. We started this sermon with the question, have have you ever felt defeated? Because Isaiah is preaching to a people who, by every measure that human beings can measure, are defeated. And they felt defeated. They felt powerless. And you and I frequently feel that way ourselves. And Isaiah says, we've got a God who cannot get tired. He is an overflowing fountain of energy and power. And love. And here's the good news for you if you're tired. God wants to give you strength. You are sitting right beside a fountain, a fire hose, a volcano of power and energy. The more you invite God into your life, the more He will renew your strength. I get tired. You get tired. This world is designed to make us tired. And this world is set up 
to use that fatigue to make us give up hope. But you and I stand beside the One who will make us strong. Who can make us run and not grow weary. Who can make us fly on the wings of eagles. If you need to respond to the invitation of that great God, to the good news, to the gospel, that He will save if you will turn. If you need prayers, if you need help, if you need something the congregation can do for you and you want to make that known publicly, or if you are ready to receive baptism, come forward, tell us what we can do for you as we stand and as we sing.